Listeners of this show will remember that me and John said, well, that's it. We've pretty much done FMW. There's not an awful lot else we can talk about. We followed them for 10 years and Chelsea as well. Between me, you and Chelsea and Mike Freeland, we covered every FMW show we possibly could. And then something happened over the last couple of weeks. And uh, it's an interesting thing that happened. Mr. Dave Stevens of the Wrestling Rewind does love a wrestling match that involves a body of water. Swimming pools, lakes, can't get enough of it. And when he saw a picture of FMW's Battle Royal in the sea, he, he, he asked me, where can I find this match? And I knew there was only one person who in the world who could possibly know where that match could be found. And it was Brett from FMWWrestling.us, who is a great wrestling historian, for F- specifically around FMW and the deathmatch scene in the 1990s. And I messaged Brett, and Brett told me where he, where Steve, Dave could find it. And he said, hey, I like those Troopany shows you do. Would you, I'd like to come and do a show with you guys. And me, John, and Chelsea said we would like to do a show with Brett. So here is Brett. Welcome, Hello. sir. Hello. Thank you for having me. It's okay. We were really looking forward to this because John is literally the deathmatch editor at Steel Share Wrestling Magazine. Um, and deathmatch is his, uh, his thing. Chelsea sadly could not join us today. She had to go to work. She is very, very sorry because she wanted to join us for this chat because she is a big Joshi fan, and obviously FNW's intermingling with Joshi in a style that had never been presented that way before is really important to her. And I love FNW and that whole deathmatch scene. I'm absolutely fascinated by that story, which you can uh, put, put even more light onto us for. Um, so John is joining us today. How are you, John? I'm not bad. This is going to be fun. Especially it is. Yeah, the FMWE announcements just keep getting wilder. <laughs> exactly. So we're going to look at two shows. An FMW show that we haven't covered on the Troopany show from 1996. Um, and a later show, Onita Pro, which was a non-FMW show, but was featured at Sushi Nita and was promoted by Sushi Nita. Because Atsushi Nita has had a sudden rush of popularity and is talking FMW and great things once again. So we're going to chat about that as well. So hopefully you will really enjoy today's show, which is going to be an in-depth deep dive on all things Onita. Um, because Onita's awesome. And Andy follows me on Twitter, which annoys John no end. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're going to start with the first show, which we looked at, which was the 1996 FMW Year in Sensation which was um, from Kamazawa Olympic Park Gymnasium, plus some other bits and pieces. Because when FMW put a videotape together, they didn't muck about. They put, like, whole matches on, not just a little, like, highlights package. We need to tell the story of this match, so we'll show the previous two matches was kind of the thing. Um, So I'll start with you, Brett. What do you think of this particular match, or have you got any further insights for us as, as what was happening on this card? As far as the show goes itself? Yeah. Yeah, so this is kind of the peak of 
the awkwardness of Onita coming back and there being issues with Onita and FMW. So Onita retired in 1995. I'm gone. I'm out of the business. I'm done. I don't want anything to do with FMW or wrestling anymore. Like, don't even, I don't even want to look at a magazine. Okay, well, FMW's going, hey, we, the rest of everyone's going, hey, we want to keep our jobs. So Onita goes, okay, actually, Onita's stepdad goes, okay, you know what? Uh, you need to sell FMW because if you if it just closes down and everyone loses their job, everyone's gonna think you're a jerk for leaving just because you're not in. You want to be done with wrestling, so Anita sells it to Shoichi Arai, and so Shoichi Arai he ends up becoming who is the ring announcer for um, the early day FMW shows. He becomes the owner of FMW, and he essentially go you know he pretty much goes i want hayabusa ejiazaki to be my top guy he had always loved ejiazaki uh who was a young boy in, in onita's fmw and so hayabusa becomes the number one guy and hayabusa knows that he can't compete with onita as far as death matches and so we need to recreate the image of fmw we need to make this a pro wrestling show as far as just or a pro wrestling promotion, okay, we can have some death matches and stuff here and there, but the main events usually need to be straight wrestling, or you know, we can't compete with what Onita did. So this that everything is going through, you know, a year and a half, and then Onita goes, you know what? I want to come back. I want to wrestle. I you know I and there's a little bit of jealousy as far as hey, Hayabusa's now a big star, and and Onita's kind of feeling forgotten. So Onita goes, I want to come back. And so he ends up coming back on this show. Uh, this is, but but there's no Onita match on this video. So his big comeback, his you know year and a half ret- uh, coming out of retirement, he is not on this show. And so what ended up happening was when um, Arai and uh, you know the Hayabusa era of FMW, which this is, when they had lost their video. Uh, deal pretty much that put that distributed their videos um bmg video uh worked with onita and then when um it became hayabusa and you know awry and the new fnw bmg goes i don't want we don't want anything to do with you know we Mm. fmw is onita that's all this is like we don't we don't want anything to do with this company so then hayabusa you know sorry awry and hayabusa they end up getting a new deal with uh toshiba emi which distributed this videotape well when onita came back out of retirement for this show, he goes, Hey, you know what? I got a deal with uh, BMG, the company that just dropped you guys a year ago. They're going to distribute this. And, and uh, Arise, like, well, but, but we already have um, yeah. Toshiba EMI. Like, we can't just, you know, screw them over. And he goes, Oh, don't worry. We'll, we'll work around it. And so what ended up happening was BMG Video decides to air all the old Onita versus Pogo matches. On t- and then add this, and then the Onita ver- and Pogo, which this was also Mr. Pogo's retirement show, as well as on- Onita coming back. And so it w- they pretty much did two different commercial videos where this show was the T- Toshiba EMI version, where it's all, you know, the-, the card itself. And then because they had to, they took out the Onita match. Because the Onita match ended up being on the BMG video, the one the company that he got in touch with, they had to take the main event out, and so they ended up having to put some more matches into this show as a result. So they end up adding two extra matches to make up for the time that they lost on not airing the main event. So, like I said, essentially that this this show actually has two completely different uh, commercial video versions of it. But we get two Takamichinoku matches instead. Yes. <laughs> which, which for some people, may be better. It may be worse. I swear that guy's a vampire. He looks the same now as he does 20 years later. 
In fact, over 20 years later. <laughs> yeah, this is true. Okay, so we'll, we'll go to the opening match, which was a kind of standard FMW opening match. Dragon Winger and Hideki Hisaki uh, wrestled Crypt Keeper and Super Leather. Sorry, I flicked my results page. Uh, which Crypt Keeper and Super Leather, the big, bad, evil monster heels won, which you kind of would do. This was kind of like Super Leather was obviously um, like a they were in wing he was in wing originally wasn't he and it's kind of like a hangover of the monster wrestling from wing which i thoroughly enjoy um so i was very pleased to see super leather john what did you think of this matchup yeah it was fairly standard fare i couldn't stop laughing at crypt keepers um dollar star halloween attire it did kind of make me laugh because you've got leather super leather who has attempted to mimic Leatherface, and then you've got Crypt Keeper, who's wearing a basic skull mask and a shirt that says Crypt the Keeper on it. And it kind of cracked me up for most of the match. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what about you, Brett? Yeah, I mean, like you said, standard undercard FMW match. This is actually kind of a downgrade for Super Leather, as he had actually been the champion in FMW this past year, and he ended up losing it um, to Mike Awesome uh, in May, uh, so about six months earlier. And after that, he his push never really was the same. He just kind of hung around for a couple years, and as a result, you know, something like this, where he's just in the opening match on the show. But like you said, standard undercard FMW match. Making a living. That's where we're at. That's what I like to see. Uh, we'll move on to one of my favorite tag teams in professional wrestling history, which is Crushy Matamore and Sharks this year. Mad Dog Military, because they're ace, because they just beat rookies up, and that's what they do. And they're wrestling Chikako, Shiratori, and Ri, uh, who you may know better as Bad Nurse Nakamura a little bit down the line. This was pre becoming a. Uh, less than straight up and down medical personnel person. Uh, she was just Reed back then. Um, this was no, this is actually afterwards. She had already this been afterwards. back. Oh, yes. yes no, she, of course she would do it. She'd gone and come back again, hadn't she? So, yeah. Yeah, yeah but it's a, I, I love all of these people. They're ace. Uh, but I especially love my dog military because they just beat people up. And that's just awesome. Brett, what would you like to say about this match? Same thing. I mean, it's a shark to see a crusher my my Adamori match where they just beat the crap out of the young, uh, like younger girls or um, you know girls not at their level. But it, 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 same thing for kind of super loader. This is kind of bad nurse Nakamura reads yeah. um, you know kind of a demotion for her as well. Where hey, she was the champion a year ago, and now they've turned they've got rid of the nurse gimmick. They turned her face, and now she's just kind of floundering as well, pretty much. So. Again, it's just the same thing, like I said, as Super Leather. Where, and, you know, we're here, you know, a champion a year ago, and now you're just getting squashed, essentially. <laughs> I think the thing is, because we watched all the other shows more or less in sequence, we did anniversary show to anniversary show, we tried to keep it in sequence. I forget so much stuff happened in FMW because it was so much more than just matches. There was so much more storyline going on. And you can, you've got to pay attention to it. Because it wasn't like the women's division was a separate company, but they kind of treated it in a very separate way. So there was tons of stuff going on with that and tons of stuff going on with the men's division. So it was yeah. it was difficult to keep on top of it, especially when you got into the, the, the Hayabusa era because it became much more entertainment-based, didn't it? It was more yeah. about angles. 
Yeah, because when with Onita, it's like okay, the women—that's just the undercard. Don't worry about it; it's not a big deal. With Hay- with the Arai Hayabusa era, it became okay. We need to focus on the women. Megumi Kudo is a star, and she can help this promotion. We need every all the help we can get to kind of, uh, you know, get a momentum or get attention to this promotion. And so, yeah, they definitely focused more on the women for this this era than they had with the Onita era. Certainly. John, what's your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I'm basically in agreement with you two. I enjoyed the hell out of it. It's always fun to watch the Mad Dog military kill people. I think the only <laughs> thing I miss is when I'm shocked to... I cannot pronounce a surname to save my life. Suchia. Suchia. Used to come yeah. out with the Kusarigama, the Kusarigama, but then they sort of changed it to the like barbed wire pole, which is still funny to watch, just like them attack people with, because it's just like... Oh, you think our fists hurt? Wait until you get the barbed wire. <laughs> it's just yeah. such an intimidating sight. It's there okay. just there, there weren't too many people who were more intimidating than them two as a tag team, really. You know, especially in that particular. You had an era of intimidating tag teams. But my one, I'm not sure Brett might know, but I'm pretty sure it never happened. If Mad Dog Military ever took on the LCO, I don't think they did, did they? The LCO is Mima Shimoda and Atsuki Mita. If they had, it would have been like before this, like 90, because Toshi and Maidamori did do All Japan Women like 93, 94. I would have to yeah. look it up. Yeah. So they, they weren't really, they weren't really the, L, the LCO then. So like the LCO, yeah. the LCO really got cooking in around this time. Because... Yeah, and they were already done because they're working with LLPW at this point instead of All Japan Women. They they, yeah. with, they had moved on pretty much from All Japan Women. Yeah, see, that, that, there's because those like that would have just been bloody murder. So that would have been fun to watch because <laughs> like Nita and Shimoda just came to the ring uh, carrying chairs. That's that's the that's the start point. We started with the chairs. Someone always got piled driven through a table within the first three minutes. Happened every match. And so they, they would have been perfect together. Mima Shimoda is actually credited, Jay White's credited her with becoming a better heel in New Japan Pro Wrestling. That's how good she is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then. Um, FMW, right. So the next match on the list on this card that happened on the night was the Gladiator versus Wynn Kanemura for the FMW Independent and Brass Knuckle Championships in an NA. Uh, the unification bout. However, in a change to advertised programming, we actually got, in bizarrely, um, uh, a member of Suzuki Gun who was a junior heavyweight champion and challenging for the heavyweight championship of the world in a major company. I wonder where someone got that idea from, John. I wonder. <laughs> what do you think of this match, Taka and Wing Kanemura? Yeah, this was pretty fun. It's Kind of what you'd expect from the pair, but I don't know, like, you can tell Taka's just kind of having fun, and the crowd are loving it. It's one of those matches where you don't have a lot to, I didn't have a lot to say about it, because I was just kind of like, huh, that happened, and it was fun. And I don't know why it's on the tape. (laughs) (laughs) And now you do know why it's on the tape. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I actually watched this and going, this will be the first match I've seen when Wing Kanemura in that isn't a death match where he's likely to get set on fire. So I'm going to enjoy this. And he's got the chops. He's actually a really good, well-rounded main event style wrestler in that style. And it was a lot of fun. A lot of fun for seeing Taka try and take a different approach to a match. 
But I did see the parallels with Despi and Abushi a lot. It was very much the junior being on top for the whole match and then just getting snuffed out at the end because he just didn't have the power or the energy to get over the 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 major hurdle of Wink Kanamura being big and a badass. So it was a lot of fun for me to watch from that point of view. Brett, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, a lot, a really fun match. I love Kanemura at this point, 96, 97-ish, where he is, I mean, he's a great athlete as well, and he can, you know, uh, he kind of had that stigma of, oh, death matches, that was just, you know, oh, he's crazy, he's willing to do this, to take this bump, and he is, but at this time period, he's willing to, ha- he's he's capable of having these awesome street fights, and um, a lot of FMW around this era, you know, it's a it's a great time period because of these kind of awesome matches where, you know, most of the time it's a six man street fight with him and Tanaka or whatnot. But then this match you have with Taka where you're adding in kind of the high flying aspect as well with the chairs and everything. And, um, you know, another, again, like I said, Kanemura is just great. This is one of my favorite time periods of FMW because of the Kanemuras and stuff. And then, like I said, you add, you add in a Taka Michinoku or, you know, when you, when Kanemura would take on a Hayabusa or something like that. I love the street fight with the high fly type match and that's what this was yeah very much this was this was really cool to watch it and it sets up the gladiator who was my cousin um who was the brass knuckles heavyweight champion um going up against win kanamori who was the independent world heavy fmw independent world heavyweight champion um in another blinder this was absolutely corking you forget how great my Corson was and i still to this day don't understand how wcw or wwe didn't get the most out of him that they should have done. You know, he has big runs in Noah later on. He challenges for the, for the Global Honor Crown, and, and you know, he, he has a good run in different companies, but he should have been, or I feel he should have been, a sustained heavyweight champion, and this is the kind of match that really shows off that. Um, I don't know if I'm right or wrong with that, Brett. What do you think? Well, this is kind of like the precursor to ECW Mike Awesome that everyone, you know, he became so popular with because, I mean, this is, yeah, like fall 96 or so. He's now starting to do these moves that he did in um, ECW. And, you know, this one, this show, he debuts the Kamikaze Awesome Bomb sending Kanemura over the top through a table. Like, that's the first time that spot had been done. And so, like I said, just this kind of match, because... Um, you know, he's kind of morphing into this awesome, you know, Mike Awesome, essentially what people knew him as before, you know, there's kind of that mix beforehand of like, hey, there's, he he was doing some high-flying spots, that's cool, or hey, he can have a really good match, like, a, actually, he's actually a really good wrestler, you know, he's doing stuff like that, and then this match, this was like street fight, and look what he's willing to do, and like I said, it's just kind of the precursor to what made him so popular against Masato Tanaka and ECW, because Kanemura's, you know, is just as crazy as Tanaka, and is, is willing to, <laughs> you know, it's Tanaka and, and Kanemura, though those are the two that are always willing to just, you know, they both loved Mike Awesome and they were both willing to, you know, do what they could to uh, put him over. And that's what Kanemura did here. Yeah. It, it just, it, it just kind of like, it just stands out as like, as well, it's kind of a change of direction for the company. And if we're not relying on the big deathmatch stuff and big blow off stuff every night of the week, then we need something that's more sustainable. And here are two wrestlers. They haven't calmed down, but the medi- uh, this is a more sustainable style than landing in barbed wire every night of a yeah. tour, isn't it? Yeah, and like I said, you know, 
with when the new FMW came over, when Shoichi Arai bought FMW, and okay, we're gonna have Hayabusa as the main guy. It was kind of okay. We can't, like I said, we can't have these barbed wire matches. Okay, we we don't have to get rid of them completely, but we need to kind of phase them down. And so as a result, yeah, you know, you have these kind of matches instead, where it's not barbed wire, but there's tables, there's chairs, you know, uh, and you have these really athletic twenty, you know, mid twenty year old guys who are willing to kind of take the punishment as if they were having a barbed wire match instead you know but instead it's landing on their heads on the mat and stuff and you know taking <laughs> being thrown through tables and stuff and you know it's just kind of the counterpoint of you know I, I like i said i like this era more because you know there's just more to the matches than barbed wire and you know the same it, it's just it's it's the same but it's different as well and and the crowd you know you, for these matches you especially at a corrigan hall or something like that love you know this style of wrestling yeah it it's kind of like King's Road Plus, isn't it? It's like yeah, exactly. King, it, it's not. It, it's it's got that King's Road. King's base Road Street well. Fight. Yeah. yeah, King's Road Street Fight, as opposed to King's Road Barbed Wire, which was just what it was before. Um, but yeah, I I agree with you, John. What's your thoughts on these two? Because I I know you love Mike Awesome so much. Yeah, genuinely, it was great to sort of see Mike Awesome coming into his own here. I was pretty surprised by the amount of selling in this as well considering the first five minutes is literally awesome trapped in a rope as when Kanemura just tries to destroy his knee it was a lot yeah, of and psychology that, was, that wasn't planned too so that was like a complete imp- you know because when that first happens Mike Awesome gets his leg trapped in it's like oh no what are we going to do and Kanemura improvises and just starts working on that knee and an unplanned you know wasn't planned so that and that pretty much a botch made the match better I thought yeah, I I didn't even realize it was a botch. To be honest, they managed to work around it that damn well. It's just a testament to how professional the pair were. And as you said, there's a nice mix of this sort of street fight atmosphere and traditional wrestling. It's like they found this nice balance between the entertainment angle they were pushing towards and the FMW of old, and it hadn't quite tipped over to the point where FMW was starting to lose its identity. Yeah, I think as well. Obviously, in the promos for this, there's a lot of talk of Funk Masters of Wrestling. And because of the, the fudge on the licensing, of course, you Terry Funk's um, oppos, Excutia and Headhunter A and B, don't get their time to shine on this particular videotape, unfortunately. But I, I, I've talked about this before. I kind of see Funk Masters of Wrestling as kind of the blueprint for the Bullet Club because it's kind of like, you know... Ghetto and Jetto have worked for every company in the world and have literally stockpiled every wrestling promotion's ideas that they've ever worked for. And for me, like when I see Bullet Club, I see Funk Masters of Wrestling. And that that's always interesting for me to see that because it is, it was Gaijins who had a, a beef with the office, and that's the story. Yeah, they and, pretty much they pretty much came in right after this show. Essentially, like December '96 is when Fuyuki, Jado, and Ghetto start popping up in FMW. Yeah, and it's like you can see the the, the you know Ghetto and Jado, they were the guys that moved around from company to company back when you stayed with the company from cradle to grave. So if you went to the New Japan Dojo, you wrestled for New Japan until you retired. That was pretty much the deal. You didn't do anything else. It was considered unseemly. Though there were obvious like there were obvious exceptions, but generally speaking, if you were going to be a big star, and they these two always went to different promotions and learned different things, and it's become kind of like as bookers, 
I'm so glad they did because they have such variation in their stories and they try and bring in little bits and pieces from everywhere. And I think that, again, it was just something that kind of stuck in my head. Right then, shall we move on? Also, just an interesting point. This is the World's Heavyweight Championship, a unification match, and it's the third match on the card. Yeah, it was a, it was a, <laughs> a big... I mean, this was a sellout crowd, um, but the problem actually was was Onita took so much to the gate that it wasn't even a financial success for the promotion, even though they sold out at over 7,900 fans. Good but Lord. Onita feeling like this was, hey, I'm the reason they sold out. I'm taking this much of the percentage wise. So FMW walks away, not even like, oh, we're healthier. We're a healthier promotion now because Onita took so much of the gate. <laughs> That's insane. Oh. <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, moving on. Shinobi Kandori, badass. General all-round scary human being wrestled Megumi Kudo, the girl next door of FMW's dreams, in an absolute corker in 14 minutes and 30 seconds. I, I'd watch these two wrestle all day. Um, and because it's such a good clash in styles, it's the kind of ace of one company versus the ace of another company, two completely different ways of going about professional wrestling. And for me, it gels so well. I know it's not everyone's cup of tea, but I love this stuff. This is my kind of wrestling. So this was really, really cool for me. They obviously had the big blow to this match was the barbed wire match uh, later on in their feud, but this was amazing. I loved watching this match. Um, what's your thoughts on this one, John? Yeah, this was vicious. Like, there's no other <laughs> word for it. Like, this was stiff, hard-hitting, kind of a chess battle of just who's going to fall first, who's going to survive, and... Yeah, it's it's literally just Kandari trying to kill Kudo and Kudo trying to kill Kandari. There's there's a lot of finesse, but when you boil it down, they're just trying to murder each other. <laughs> <laughs> well, it comes with a lot of tension. Obviously, there was the classic Kandari Hokuto match at Dream Slam One from a couple of years before, which kind of set the standard for women's wrestling at the time in when it came to brawling. And you know, Kudo had gone through bloody murder in her matches with Combat Toyota and various other people. So there wasn't many better qualified brawlers around at the time. So I think these two gel really well. Brett, what's your thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean, one of my favorite Kudo matches, and I wanted to kind of give the backstory of this match where, um, like I mentioned earlier, FNW and All Japan Women, they had kind of stopped working together at this point. So FNW started working with Kandori's LLPW and Shark Tashia and Crusher Maidamori. They started teaming up with Eagle Sawai, who was a top heel in LLPW. And they kind of formed their own group um, with one another, with the heels of LLPW. And so Kandori's like, in a press conference, like, hey, Megumi, you need to get your girls in check. Like, they're coming to my promotion and they're wrecking havoc. This, you know, you need to keep them under control. And Kudo takes offense to that and is like, you know, I why am I supposed to control these girls? They're not under me, you know. And so they get into a fight over at the press conference, which sets up this match. And like you said, they just try and kill each other. Um, Kudo adds a great, like, acrobatic aspect to this match, whereas Kandori is just trying to just choke her out. And like I said, one of my favorite um, Kudo matches um, afterwards 
Uh, so Kandori ends up choking her out, essentially, and Megumi's pissed off afterwards and attacks her backstage or goes up to her backstage and starts fighting her. And so, like, this is the first time, like, Kudo and, you know, and Kandori's not even healed. It's not even, like, this, it's this blood rival between faces of the top faces of their own promotions and the women, you know, FNW Women's and LLPW. And they end up having another match um, in January um, before the barbed wire match. And that's even more insane. Uh, it's not as much <laughs> wrestling match but they, they literally fight all over Corrigan Hall and then go up to the balcony of Corrigan Hall and Kandori wraps a chain around her and tries to uh, pretty much send her off the balcony and so K- Kudo is essentially being held off the balcony of Corrigan Hall before she has to tap out uh, while being ho- held her neck to a chain essentially and so that, like I said another crazy match where they kill each other and that just leads to the barbed wire match yeah, in March so about three months later which is a bloody barbed wire street fight essentially so this match kicked off a great rivalry and you know we're nearing towards the end of Kudo she's already announced that she's going to retire um, in April 9 and so only about four months left and she just goes out with a bang and that's one that this match is one of them like i said just one of my favorite matches kandori's great kudo's great this is peak both of them oh and kandori's dress style at the time was absolutely <laughs> pin sharp yeah. <laughs> the barbed wire match she turns up for it looking like a member of the accuser in a dark yeah. blue salute with a black shirt and a red tie pair of shades fist tape tape fists and ready to go it looks amazing and yeah, it, it was nice. I mean, Kandori did have the Kandori did have kind of a feud with Akira Hokuto. They had a couple of tag matches and singles matches as well. But it was kind of the more focus was always on that first big match that Hokuto won, um, mm. because that would kind of set the bar for for what you could do in a, in a street fight. It wasn't really a street fight; it was a regular wrestling match. It was just like. there was a lot of history in that match, you know, the amount of involvement of different people. Wally Yamaguchi bladed Akira Hokuto because she'd never done it before and she (laughs) didn't want to do it wrong. You know, there was, there's all sorts of history and it's such a breathtakingly good match, but this is a solid money-making feud. So I kind of prefer the Hokuto one from an artistic point of view, but from a thoroughly enjoying it as a fan point of view, the Mugumi Kudo and Shinobi Kandori is just amazing. So, yeah. yeah, and and you know, Kudo, like I said, Kudo loses the first two matches, but it ends up helping her when she actually finally does get the win in the barbed wire match. It actually puts her over more. Like, oh, I overcame this hurdle. I, you know, I beat yeah. one of the best that was pretty much you know had my number and was taking me out. And so it actually, even though Kudo lo- technically, you know, lo- like I said, loses the series one to t- one to two, she still ends up coming up, you know, looking better because she won the last one. Yeah, there's a classic Onitator storytelling device, isn't it? Like the, yeah. the early days in the mixed martial arts matches where he'd, he'd lose three and then win the last one and be the hero because yeah. he'd won the last one. <laughs> exactly. Yes, uh, then we have our kind of main event. But before we get to our kind of main event, Takamichinoku also wrestled Hayabusa and that matches on this tape as well. Uh, I think it was fine. I think it was it was, it was was very good. I, I don't, nothing stands out about it for me other than it's Taka and Ayabusa, and that's always going to be great. But I, nothing really stood out for me. What are your thoughts on it, Brett? Oh, I actually love this match. It's one, it's, um, Taka looks great here. Hayabusa looks great here. The only thing was the tombstone pile driver on a stack of chairs. That didn't look, that, I don't think Hayabusa ever tried that move again. Uh, yeah. did not look good. But I, I, you know, it was actually really uh, well received in the Japanese public as well because it was um, one of the first 
in the Japanese um, Pro Wrestling Weekly magazine, it was one of the first matches they covered because usually it's like New Japan, then All Japan. Okay, now here's some FMW stuff um, in the middle. <laughs> this was, you know, hey, this is a great match. It's pretty much like New Japan and then Hayabusa versus Taka. And now back to All Japan. So this definitely caught some attention. And this is around the time period where Hayabusa's going, okay, I need to have great matches. You know, Onita's coming back. And he's going to create his own style. And, you know, he's going to have his own style. And I have to be different. And so I need to have these great matches. And, you know, it's it's a combination. Like I said, just two really good high flyers, um, you know, just going all out. And, um, I, like I said, I really I really enjoyed this match personally. I think I think maybe I'm I'm getting kind of jaded with aerial wrestling because I see so much of it now. Yeah, and also you have to realize <laughs> that this is 1996 where you're not, yes. you know, yeah, this, it's like yeah, it's, we, this, this was jaw dropping stuff in 1996, and I should be more yeah. yes, it's like I'm I'm not I'm not reacclimatizing myself to the time period really. Yeah, uh, having said that, 25 I love, year I, later eyes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> having said that, I did love Sasuke and Hayabusa. So yeah, but anyway, John, your thoughts on this particular matchup? Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat as Brett here. I thoroughly enjoyed this one. I think the pair meshed well. They did a lot of cool stuff. The chair pile driver was hilarious, but I appreciate the thought. <laughs> and, yeah, that they, they genuinely just put on a fairly enjoyable, high flying, street fighting, just match. It's like I get where you're coming from because it it fit the FMW mold really damn. Like, well, that you're just kind of like, oh, it's another FMW match. But it, again, it's when you look at the time period, it was really damn cool. Yeah. Yeah, I actually liked it more than the Sasuke match. So, <laughs> okay, fair enough. Maybe I'm just wrong then. <laughs> we'll move on to our main event, which was the great Sasuke, who lost to Hayabusa in 90 minutes and 12 seconds. But again, this is reaffirming, isn't that like we're going to shift the main event to high quality matches? That's where we're going to be and give Hayabusa an aura about his uh, delivery, which is different to the main event style of Atsushi Nita. And I think these two really do put everything together. Of course, Sasuke's mad as a box of frogs, so that does help. Um, John, your thoughts? Yeah, this was an, a really technical match. Like, when you consider you've got two of the, like, premier high flyers in a ring together it's quite impressive that the opening stretch of it is a lot of technicality and a lot of mind games where they're just like maybe i don't need to fly to get rid of you and they slowly <laughs> build up this kind of interesting and intense match it's not quite as dynamic as the taka one but it's like they're trying to like as you said they're trying to prove that they're moving to a very different style of main event of the sort of oh, yes, we've got proper matches that don't need to be bloodbaths, but we've also got high-flying Sasuke, who's probably going to throw himself on his head at some point, so enjoy. <laughs> right, what's your thoughts on this matchup? Yeah, so like I said, I like the Taka match more. Now, you have to realize here, um, and I actually asked Hayabusa about this match, specifically about you know the Sasuke, and he said, hey, we were both injured. You know, Sasuke had just broken his skull of the J crown back in August. And so he was still recovering from that, um, from the dive in the finals. And so he's still dealing with that injury. Hayabusa 
And like I said, the Taka match was kind of the exception to the rule. I think he had maybe, you know, a lot of these Hayabusa matches in 96 were not very good because he was still injured. He had been really banged up at the end of 95 and he just multiple injuries. Pretty much the doctors told him like, hey, you it's as if you were in a severe car wreck. That's how bad off you are. You need to you need to take a year off. And so Hayabusa ended up missing pretty much almost the entire first half in 96. He worked the Kawasaki Stadium show and then to, um was out, out again and that was just because of he's trying to recover and you know after a while after about seven months he decides i'm okay i gotta come back it's been seven months i'm gonna come back five minutes or five months early and so he but his body was still kind of you know s- still overcoming all the injuries that he had been d- dealing with that he had dealt with and so as a result you know you have this match where like i said you know he, he like he's not fully recovered. Sasuke is not mm. fully recovered. And so as a result, yeah, you know, they do some high flying moves, but you, you had mentioned, you know, a lot of it's technical and that's just because they're both really in pain at this point of, <laughs> with a broken skull and pretty much a body as if it was in a car wreck. And so, like I said, the, the Taka match is more the exception to the rule of Hayabusa really going all out. And, but you know, it, everything else was kind of you know in 96 for Hayabusa you know he had a horrible match with Shinzaki where he barely could do anything there's um you know the Nakagawa match uh in in Shiodome in August and that's a horrible match you know just so Hayabusa was kind of in a funk here and um due to his injuries he just really shouldn't have came back this early and you know like I said as a as a result there's more of a technical aspect to this match with some high flying you know Sasuke still does the um this his um I'm forgetting the, the uh his Sasuke special and yeah. you know and then Hayabusa ends up pulling out the very first time ever a falcon arrow off the top rope which was a really cool spot but you know I, I would I mean I would say it's a disappointing match considering it's a dream match and Hayabusa would say it's a you know told me it was a disappointment as as well but um yeah, I mean I still I have it in my I've went down and uh, wrote my top 100 FMW matches back in 2001. And this made 100 because it was a disappointment, but Hey, it's still Hayabusa. It's still Sasuke. It's still <laughs> a good match. It's just, you know, because it's a dream match, it's a disappointment, but it, overall, you know, it's not bad or anything. It's still a good match. I think I, that's the th- thing as well. It's like when you consider how injured they were mm-hmm. to pull, to pull together a yeah. match of this quality, yeah, you know, and- yeah, and, and that's the thing you just don't even really think about because, like, oh, Sasuke, he broke his skull four, you know, that was four months ago. Well, it's still a broken skull, it's still you a know. Broken skull. Yeah, just because it's four months ago and he's still working doesn't mean it's gone. But a lot of times, I mean, just not knowing the, you know, in wrestling in, in general, you just don't think about, like, oh, that injury, that really kind of yeah. stays with them. Yeah, it's, it's like Tetsuya Naito, Tetsuya Naito in 2019 was legally blind in one eye for most of the year. And people wondered why he was a bit sluggish. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, it's like he was still having like, you know, incredible quality matches through that year, but he was just he, he, he basically could only see through one eye. Sorry, John, we interrupted you. He was trying to say something. If Sasuke had a broken skull, why the hell did he do the chair dive spot? Because <laughs> oh. he's a crazy person. Because it's because it's this the great Sasuke. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's just what he does. That makes it all the more worse now. Because I'm like I thought that spot looked horrible when he took it. And now knowing he took it on a recently broken skull, it's just like, oh, no. <laughs> Why does he choose to fall off the top rope in a barrel? Because he can. And I mean, that's... he once brained himself on a ladder fighting Jimmy Lloyd just because he could. 
<laughs> there you go. This, this, it, 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 there is rhyme nor reason to the great Sasuke and the things that he chooses to and not to do. Um, he still but... wants to fight Sakura Hirata. Despite the fact... He still wants to do the Hirata match, despite the fact that he's he recently got injured again. He's still like, well, maybe I'll still do the Hirata match because it's my name. <laughs> He, he just he, had a match with Shinzaki this past week, even, so he's still going. Oh, yeah. No, I, I can't see Grace Sasuke. You know, like, we all joke about Vince will be like, Vince will leave WWE in a coffin. Sasuke's <laughs> the same way. He'll still be doing like moonsaults <laughs> until later. Ironically enough, he just had a, co- a coffin match where he was. Yeah, left- there you go, you see. Yeah, Sasuke's <laughs> never going to go. in the coffin for so long during that as well because, like, you got put in the <laughs> casket. And then stayed in it until everyone was gone and the ring was getting taken down. <laughs> he lives at the gimmick. That's the whole thing, isn't it? Yeah, he had, I mean, you know, there was that whole thing where he uh, was running for um, uh, some a po- politician position. Or, you know, he was this, uh, forgetting what, like a legislator or something like that. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, he still, he kept the mask on the whole time. Well, yeah, because you're electing the greatest Sasuke, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm actually surprised there isn't anyone in the Mexican legislature that isn't masked. Surely somebody by now, you know, you know, it's, it does absolutely amaze me that like Japanese wrestlers do so well in politics. <laughs> like, because Anita was uh, in the set in the day, it wasn't he, and yeah. so um, Hase was a spokesman for. He's currently a spokesman for education, but he was education minister for a while. You know, it, it's 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 and of course Anita Pogo was ran, Mr. Pogo ran even yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah Anita was um, uh, health spokesman for hepatitis yeah. or no sexually transmitted diseases wasn't he was, AIDS you know, yeah he was the AIDS spokesperson for yeah preventing AIDS yeah the, the guy who managed to get hepatitis B by jumping into a river yeah just he just didn't, he didn't get hepatitis he just got some severe he didn't get hepatitis he got some severe, <laughs> uh because of the germs in the river and everything and he had cuts so he ended up getting almost dying from it but he didn't get a hepatitis uh, but yeah he almost died from all the wounds from the barbed wire and then jumping into the dirty water yes and that may have, that may have been misrepresented to 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 there was a, a scare at the time i can't remember where i was reading yeah. it but anywho i apologize to, to, to for misrepresenting that information so we're going to skip forward three years, and we're going to move over to Kuriken Hall, the famed Kuriken Hall in uh, Tokyo, Japan. And in fact, it was a samurai TV show, which uh, the same TV show is still going to this day, I think, and still produces weekly wrestling shows from various different companies. But this was a brand new company, which was founded by Atsushi Anita. And it was a show which kind of harks back to the original days of FNW and kind of gives you an insight as to what the way Atsushi Anita likes to book professional wrestling. And it involved an awful lot of the old names of FMW that me, Chelsea, John, and Mike have talked about before. Uh, but have you got any background on how the show started, Brett? Yeah, so essentially, I, I, or I was talking about how Onita came back and Hayabusa, you know, with Hayabusa as the as the top guy. And so there's this awkwardness of like Hayabusa was the top guy, Onita's trying to take his spot. You know, it's very similar to the Bret Hart Hulk Hogan situation in 1993 in WWF, where it's like, okay, here's the established name coming back, trying to take the spot of the guy 
you know, that took over after you left. And that's essentially what happened. And so FMW's like, okay, let's try and make Onita a heel. Let's and so they make Onita a heel, Hayabusa the face to kind of make it different. Onita hates that. He goes, No, no, no. I am I created this promotion. This FMW, I cannot be a heel in this promotion. You need to switch me back. And so after a while, okay, they switch him back over and now he's a face again, but now he's kind of mm, this like second tier face to Hayabusa and he doesn't like that. Now granted, he's also not there every day every day like Hayabusa is. So he's missing some tours and he's not at every show. You have to kind of focus on Hayabusa being the top guy because Onita's pretty much a part-time guy. But Onita's going, but I created FMW. This is my promotion. I should be above him. I should be in the main event every time I'm in the show. So he gets in touch with a sponsor and they go, hey, you know, Onita, you have such a big fan base. We, how about we do this? I will sponsor a promotion where you are the top guy and you're, you know, and we just bring the FMW guys over and we'll have two separate FMW promotions, essentially. One with you as the top guy and one with Hayabusa as the top guy. So FMW would be Hayabusa and all the FMW guys, Ganasuke, Kanemura. And then Onita Pro, essentially, would be Onita and Kanemura, Ganasuke, you know, all the same guys on the same show, just with Onita in charge. And so that was what was Onita's planning on, where I'm going to have my own separate promotion, separate promotion because I can't, you know, they're not booking me above Hayabusa anymore. I need to, you know, I'm going to be in this promotion. And Arai goes, no, we can't do that. And there's this whole big meeting with the FNW guys, because the FNW guys didn't want to do it either. And so Arai ends up going, nope, we are done with you, Onita, essentially. And there was a bunch of drama. I mean, like I said, the Onita taking a big portion of the the 96 show, you know, stuff like that. It was happening throughout and they were just kind of sick of Onita at this point. And they go, we are not going to help you with that promotion. Um, you know, we're going to break away from you. And so essentially Onita's now got a new promotion where, OK, now I was planning on all the FNW guys filling out the card for me now. I got to go back to the roots of let me get in some old FNW guys that are not associated with the current FNW. Let me get in touch with Sambo Asako. Let me, you know, Shark Dashi and Crusher Maya Demore, they've been let go by FNW at this point. Come on in. DDT guys, um, you know, that's a small little uh, little ind independent promotion at this point. That's nothing, essentially. Um, you know, hey, you guys are cheap. Come on in. And so that's what pretty much <laughs> creates Onita, FN or Onita Pro, where it's essentially what F the original FMW was, which was, hey, I'm in charge. I'm the top guy. I'm the star. And you cheap mid-card guys or undercard guys, come fill out the card for me and make a name of yourself while I'm in the main event. And that's what this was. <laughs> Bizarrely, 22 years later, today is the day of the Cyberfight Festival, which is literally DDT's biggest show ever. Oh, yeah, uh, they've grown so much since this time period. <laughs> so where today they were presented as equals to Pro Wrestling Noah, which I'm sure some traditionalists will be having grinding teeth by the end of oh, today. If, if not, they're, they're a bigger company than Noah even at this point. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, we will be looking at Cyberfight next week on the True Finish Show, as well as the big New Japan show, which happens tomorrow. A lot going on in Japanese wrestling right now, essentially because everything was locked down for a month and everything's had to happen at once. It's the way of things. There we go. So this show was really interesting. In fact, I loved this show. I really, really did, because it reminded me so much of FMW in 1991, and it doesn't get much more FMW 91 than Ray Pandita versus Yusaku. If you're on an alien 
or a gorilla or a panda wrestling somebody, it's nor FMW, as far as I'm concerned. Brett, what are your thoughts on this opening match? Uh, Pandita did some cool moves. I don't know who this was, though. I, I, I spent all day, a, a good portion of yesterday, trying to look <laughs> up who, because I knew Flying Kid Ichihara was the original Ray Pandita in, because uh, there was Pandita. He was a Mexican wrestler, in, or a Tijuana wrestler that came mm. into FNW in 91. That's the original Pandita. Then when he was gone, they just made Flying Kid Ichihara the new Pandita. But then, you know, like I said, all the FNW, Ichihara is still in FMW at this point. So I spent a good portion looking, who is this guy? But he did some really cool moves and, um, you know, it was, it was fun. It was, it was a Pandita match. There you go. That's, that's what he was there for. Yusuke was good. I mean, he kind of like had to be just there for the ride, really. But that was, that was, that was, yeah, just take the, just take the Pandita offense. That's all you got to (laughs) do. Yeah. Just, just stand there and it will wrestle around you. John, what were your thoughts on this? Yeah, same boat as you guys. It was just rather fun to watch, and it was cool to see Pan- another variation of Pandita, even if we don't know who the hell he is. He did great moves. <laughs> now, and there is another Pandita since this Pandita. So this is like the there's been like four different Panditas. So yeah, this is the only one I don't know. See, <laughs> why it? isn't there a big mythology like the Tiger Mask mythology of like the four Tiger Masks? Because, yeah, they keep pretending <laughs> it's the same one though. Is the thing they keep thinking, uh, oh, this is the same well, guy, it's the same Pandita, it's it's the same panda. But yeah, well, it's. A, I mean, theoret- theoretically, they, they arguably the, the, we're on Tiger Mask Four, but no one calls him Tiger Mask Four. Yeah. He's just Tiger Mask. So theoretically, the last time I saw a Pandita match was on another show. Anita was on last year, which was Street Fight Club, I think it was called. And Are you thinking um... the Blasting Cushion, the DDT one? Is that what it is? Where it's actually so you you're right actually. There actually now technically is a fifth panda because Onita <laughs> debuted the gimmick Mecha Pandita, which is a robot pandita who or panda who essentially um he cre- the story is that Onita built a robot panda and it came to life and it's doing all these high flying moves and everything. And so it's essentially a robot panda having matches, and so that's yeah, was in the uh Blasting Koshin promotion, which is a DDT sub promotion, and yes, essentially it's a robot panda. Uh, it's a person under the mask, obviously in the attire, but he's, <laughs> he's acting as if he's a robot panda this time. I just remember uh, Shun, Shun Makatsumata couldn't beat them. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to our second match, which was a tag match, a kind of a lucha style, kind of Japanese lucha style crossover tag match. Asian Kuga and Fantuma Funakoshi defeated exciting Yoshida and Takashi Sasuke in 16 minutes and 32 seconds. I love this match purely because exciting Yoshida is possibly the greatest professional wrestler (laughs) of all time. And I don't understand why more companies, apart from the fact he's about 5'2 and 130 pounds, have not taken him on as a main eventer because he's giving it plenty all the way through this match. And essentially, if you want somebody to wrestle in the style of, I don't know, Ric Flair, who happens to look like a, a very small used car salesman, exciting <laughs> Yoshida is your man. And I think that's amazing. And I need more of him in my life. And I'm, uh, my life has felt empty now that I've not had him in my life for all this time. John, your thoughts? <laughs> I was in awe because this is the <laughs> youngest I've ever seen Takashi Sasaki. Because he okay. runs freedoms, <laughs> and I'm used to watching him in death matches and street fights and like six man tags. I don't, 
I've never really seen much of his early work, and to see him as like a young DDT guy alongside used car salesman Ric Flair, as you just called him, was <laughs> quite the sight. And yeah, I agree. Exciting Yoshida was definitely fun to watch, and this was just an enjoyable little tag match. Yeah, that was it. I just thought, this, this is ace. This made my morning whilst I was watching this. I was like, why, why have I not come across this gentleman before? I need more of him. Right, what's your thoughts on this tag match? Yeah, I mean, it it was a fun indie type high fly match. I really liked I really like Asian Cougar. Uh, he did some really yeah. cool spots here. Uh, like you said, John Takashi Sasaki. He looks so different here. This is probably one of the first taped shows of him because he'd been around about two or three years at this point, but he was started off in such low independence that weren't ever filmed. And so, and you know, he's in D, he's technically a DDT wrestler at this point. And so, and you know, we talk about DDT is so low at this point that maybe they'll get a show or two every so often, but they were too little, they were too small to be like, have a show dedicated to them on even a Samurai TV. So the fact that like, hey, the DDT guy's working with Onita here, that allowed you know, a Takashi Sasaki to be seen by the public, you know, not not attending a show for the first time, to be seen on television. And so that's what this is essentially where, you know, you get an Asian Cougar, you get a Takashi Sasaki having visibility for the very first time to an audience that, you know, that are watching TV instead of going to a 50 seat building, essentially that like <laughs> what DDT was running around this time period. Time period. That's it. I mean, the, the thing we, you, what we don't realize is you watch New Japan and you watch Noah, you watch Old Japan and DD, um, DDT to an extent and TJPW and Stardom's. There are so many other companies that you never heard of. It's like universes exploding and dying away in the blink of an eye. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it, it, it's should the companies that only last for a show and, you know, but this was the really kind of the, I think, at the end of the videotape era and like when you start getting like, I think now it's easier to run promotions because streaming offers a lifeline. You don't have to, if you've only got 50 people in the building, there's still a few hundred people who might buy it. And, you know, I think now is a great time to be an independent wrestling promotion. However, I think this was a really creative time for those small companies. Yeah, they had to focus usually on commercial video. So to be able to watch them, you had to, VHS tapes are so expensive in Japan. They're like $100 or so. So you had to have like a full-on loyal audience to be able to watch the, you know, to watch them. So when Samurai TV came along, that was a big deal because, hey, I just got to pay $10 a month to watch, you know, to actually watch wrestling. And, you know, I can, and again, you know, DDT is actually probably too small at this point, but, uh, you know, any promotion, yeah, like, you know, FMW, that was a big deal for FMW, Big Japan, all that, like, you only had the magazines essentially, or you had to pay a hundred dollar VHS tape to be able to keep up with them. And otherwise, you know, otherwise you had to go to the shows. And so, um, you know, you know, Samurai TV was a big deal at the time, like a full on wrestling channel that just shows everything, you know, everything that's not minor league that shows. And so, like I said, big deal. And, you know, a show like this, um, you know, really got eyes on people like a Takashi Sasaki, like an Asian Cougar that probably had never really been seen by audience, you know, more, not by a, a fan base that wasn't the hardcore, you know, fan base of like a DDT or something like that, which there's not that many of them at this point. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. Okay, then we should move on to the next match, which was a ladies match on the card, as they used to say back in the day. However, it did involve Shark and Crusher. Mm -hmm. And they had some rookies to beat up. However, 
The rookies were a little sharper than usual and had their way with uh, Shark and Crusher for quite some time. The rookies in question were Yuku Nakamura and Yoshiko Tamura, um, who were, well, Yoshiko Tamura was from AJW originally, and Mima Shimoda, who we talked about earlier, uh, was uh, the trainer of Yuki Nakamura. This was a bloody brawl for 11 minutes and six seconds. I'm trying to think who, I think it was Yuki Nakamura, did <clears throat> clearly wear a white T-shirt because she knew she was going to bleed. <laughs> <laughs> but then lost the white T-shirt before she bled, which kind of, so that was unfortunate. <laughs> but yes, this was a remarkable piece of professional wrestling because you had all that AJW crispness applied to a completely bloody brawl, which was a great juxtaposition in my in, in my head. Anyway, Brett, what did you think of this? Yeah, no, I liked it. I mean, like you said, it's you, you got the shark and you got a crusher and they want to do their street fight, but then you have crisp wrestlers that are willing to do moves. And so it was a, it's a really good combination. It's kind of like a minor version of kind of... of what like Kudo Magumi Kudo would do with Shark Tashia, you know, or like let's kind of mix the street fight with you know, sh- like with Shark Tashia and Christian Amore, they can't have like a great wrestling match, even with a great <laughs> wrestler. But hey, we kind of inter we kind of mix the two in between. You end up having this match where, um, you know, good good wrestlers and good brawlers, and, and as a result, you have a good match. It was like watching Shark and Crusher always made me laugh was when they did Dream Slam. I think it was they, there was a JPW team that they got and they murdered them. I mean, it was just like flat yeah, out squash match. And then they go back to the interview. One of them was Terry Powers, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Like, Terry, Terry, Terry Powers had a broken arm, didn't she? As well. Yeah. She was dressing in one arm. And they get back to the, the backstage interval and Shark and Crusher just give this nice, quiet interview. We'd like to thank FMW and AJW for coming to the show. Thank you very much. <laughs> You've like literally assaulted somebody on national television if you just have a quiet promo at the end. <laughs> That's ace. Oh, John, what's your thoughts on this matchup? Eh, to everyone's surprise, I enjoyed it. I love brawling. <laughs> I love blood. I love violence. And yeah, this had all three of it mixed with some crisp wrestling as the rookies weren't going to take the fight lying down. It was no. a nice, surprisingly competitive match with Crusher and Shark in it. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I like. Just like the like the whipped them off into the post, and the rookies went, "No, <laughs> no, we're having this. No, 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 no. Come on, let's go." And it was good. I really enjoyed it, and you, you should enjoy it too. Uh, next up, we have uh, the returning Katsuji Awada, the man with the greatest permed mullet in professional wrestling history. <laughs> Tagging up with a, a young chap called Sanchihiro Tagagi. You may know him better as the lead booker of DDT. <laughs> and they're wrestling Dr. Hannibal and Dr. Luther. Wonder what happened to him. John, your thoughts? This was uh, interesting, to say the least, because I did not expect to see the head booker of DDT, despite the fact <laughs> I've seen the head booker of DDT in some weird matches, <laughs> battling two zombies. It's, it's not what you expect. No tagging up with a kickbox who turned up with actual gloves on his fists. Yeah, the, this was such a juxtaposition of teams. Because you've got a boxer and a wrestler who is basically trying to be Steve Austin with Steve Carino's entrance music, battling two <laughs> zombies. It's it's genuinely just... You're, you're watching it and you're like, is this real or if I just dropped acid, I, I'm losing it. 
Oh, whilst using Mick Foley's finisher, I like to point out, Mr. Socko did make an appearance. Yeah, and I'm honestly surprised. I think it was Luther taking it didn't just bite. Considering he was <laughs> out of the way zombie, it would have been a great counter just for him to bite down on Takagi's fingers. Yes. It's just like, uh, Iweda had sadly cut his hair at this point. He had gone with the, the number two all over, which I am disappointed with. That that mullet deserves a better like better ending. But there you go, Brett. What was your thoughts on this match? Because this, um, this 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 uh, this sounds like a political nightmare. <laughs> yeah, it's it's an F, it's an old school FMW match where it looks like it'd be fun to be there, where it's just um, <laughs> everyone's fighting around, you know, fighting all over the building. Um, I don't know necessarily say it was a great TV match, but it's definitely one of those things where, hey, if you were in the front row, it's it's fun. You know, I've been to um, some shows, like really low independent shows in Japan, where if you, you know, watching on tape, oh, this sucks, this was boring, or this, uh, but when you're like right there and they're fighting and throwing chairs right in front of you, it's like a surreal experience. And that's what this kind of was, where it's just like, holy crap, you know, you have Dr. Luther, who's wearing, who now has a blonde hair, which that's kind of threw me off. I'm used to either the old <laughs> black hair with the ponytail or his AEW look, but yeah, but the blonde kind of 2000 look kind of threw me off. But yeah, I'm sure it was fun to be there live and see, you know, see it, but on tape, eh, it's what it is. And But it was nice to see Ueda back. He had been gone for a couple years after, um, you know, Onita retired. Ueda pretty much was out of the business. And so with Onita coming back, Ueda had a job again, essentially. And and also Dr. Luther and Dr. Hannibal coming back in, they had, um, essentially, they had left FNW prior to Onita leaving, they had been stopped being booked. And so that they were pretty much the only foreigners that Onita ended up getting booked for the show uh, or for any of his shows. He usually is just stuck, stuck with the Japanese. So uh, this, like I said, kind of cool seeing, you know, Luther and Hannibal at least one more time. I think they made one more appearance after this, but um, definitely cool seeing that. But like I said, eh, as far as a TV match. <laughs> I think Katsuji Ueda of all the mixed martial artists who weren't wrestlers, Oh, who yeah. ended up doing wrestling FMW. He was the guy who got it the best. Well, I hear like, people I, all the time bitch about how uh, when I see interviews or whatever, they always bitch because he would actually punch them. Like, he, he wouldn't hold back. <laughs> and so they're like, hey, this is a work, and you're getting punched for real. A lot of the um, old um, Korean um, Taekwondo fighters, like Lee Gox, who they would do the same thing too, where a lot of the wrestlers <laughs> like, I hate working with them because they're at their, they don't know it's a work. <laughs> I still think my favorite moment from this match is at the start where Ueda is kind of dealing with a shambling Hannibal and just starts kicking him. And it's just like, <laughs> oh, oh, you're going to act a zo- like a zombie at me? I'm just going to kick your leg. <laughs> he just look like uh, he's there to work but he's just kind of like what the fuck am i doing here <laughs> i can legitimately kill someone and you're acting <laughs> like a zombie what? <laughs> yeah i mean that's basically like the, like the, the the suspension of disbelief required to watch some fmw on fmw inspired work is quite a stretch <laughs> you need it to work it as well based on his facial <laughs> expression ah, well you know but yeah, no, away, I love Oeda. I, I just, like, I, I've really got into some, really appreciate him going to some of his matches, which were, other wrestling fans may not enjoy, but I'm just like, this is just ace, because he's just walloping people. It's <laughs> just really hard. <laughs> like, so if this is a work, how how did this work? Well, now, now we know. Um, the main event is is quite remarkable. 
because you got Atsushi Nita and Sambo Osaka coming out of retirement, along with Shigo Ekimori. And they're going up against Junichiro Tenru. Yes, that Junichiro Tenru, who obviously wrestled at, well, essentially retired Onita a few years before. Uh, Ichiro Yaguchi and Shoji Nakimaki, who'd had a massive fallout with Anita also a couple of years before. And it's it's the main event in No Rope Barbed Wire match. And it is a ton of fun. Don't get me wrong. This is awesome to watch. But Brett, please explain how this match came about, because this is insane. Oh, well, pretty much, I mean, you know, I've talked about how the creation of the Onita promotion was started of, okay, now, I, you know, it's me versus, you know, me and the rest of the undercard can be DDT guys, cheap cheap guys, uh, but I gotta, I gotta have a, a named opponent, I gotta have somebody here to, you know, Onita versus Tenru. Hey, I can get Tenru in, um, he's willing to be booked, and so essentially, and hey, we have that five, five year ago feud that never really, like, just, it just ended with Tenru beating him, and so there's no, like, may, there's no friendship or anything, and so essentially Onita... You know, Tenru's uh, free, essentially free at this point. Um, he's working New Japan, but you know, hey, I can get him in. And so, and and Onita worked some of Tenru's uh, war promotion in '99 as well. And so it's just they came up with the deal of, hey, Onita, you're gonna work my show, and then I'll work your show, and that's what this was. And then, um, and we can play off the fact that, hey, we hated each other five years ago when we never became friends, and so that's essentially what this was. That's that. That is really cool. But it's like insane when you think about it. Like Tenru, within eighteen months, we main event in Budokan Hall as the Triple Crown Champion. When oh, yeah. like the like because like the entire as if you've been listening to our series on the King's Road, which is about the story of the death of Giant Baba essentially and the birth of Noah, you realize like the timelines cross over here. So like. At this point, he's wrestling in Kurokan Hall in a barbed wire match, but within 18 months, Makitoko Baba is in the shit and requires <laughs> someone to come and salvage all Japan pro wrestling, and she chooses Jinichiro Tenru because he's literally the only guy who can save the company at that particular point, and they end up on a massive money-making run, which stabilizes the company. She brings in uh, Kiyoji Muto as the lead booker, and they have much further success down the line. Um on and off, but you know the, the actual company is still surviving today. Well, if you look back at '94, Tenru, uh, you have him beating Inoki in the singles match in at the Tokyo Dome, and then you then just a couple months later, it's Onita pinning him in a tag match, and it's <laughs> and then two months after that, then it's yeah Onita versus Tenru in a uh, exploding barbed wire cage match. So that's you know like. A big time frame there too of like wow you went from you know beating Anoki in, at the Tokyo Dome to now yeah main event in Kawasaki Stadium. It's still lost to Hulk Hogan in '93. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like oh god. Well yeah, Tenru's oh, Tenru's got some stories to tell when he writes a book. Has he written a book here? He needs to write a book, several of them, <laughs> and to be translated into many different languages. So we know with the know with the greatness of Jinichiro Tenru. This main event is awesome and insane on many, many different levels, not just because of the booking. I, the work rate is really high, and this they're obviously all trying to kick this company off with a big start. I'm going to start with John. What's your thoughts on this match? Yeah, this was incredible. Like You've got six men working their ass off, working several mini little brawls as Onita and Tenaru sort of kick the shit out of each other. You've got brawling, you've got barbed wire, you've got everyone cut the hell up, except... 
Tenryu actually manages to stay fairly bloodless in this match. Like everyone else is cut like cut up quite badly and then there's Tenryu with like I think he's got a small gash on his shoulder and that's about it. <laughs> I, I don't know how he managed to play minesweeper with the amount of barbed wire that was just casually <laughs> flying around. And yeah, you've got Onita basically becoming the barbed wire burning man. You've got just you name it, any mad spot you can think of, it kinda happens. And yeah. there's, there's the table spot we were talk, like talking about before we recorded, I think, where it didn't break. And so they take the wood out of it and just start hitting each other with that. And oh man. Yeah, it looks like he's about to like Tinner's about to slam Sambo onto the table, and then he realizes, wait, this isn't where the table's supposed to break. This spot's not where the table's supposed to break, and so he pretty much just slams Sambo to where his head hits the end of the table instead of going through the table itself. So Sambo ends up taking the punishment due to Tenru going, oh, wait, we're not supposed to break the table here. And then moments later, he goes, okay, now we need to go to the table spot. And he throws Onita into the table to break it. So poor Sambo has to take this really crappy bump of on a table because Tenru probably mid-spot mid goes, oh, wait, table's not supposed to break here. <laughs> I yeah. can just fight out of this. You don't have to throw me. Ah! Yeah. <laughs> but think of something else. I could just cut you off and backdrop you. No, 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 no. We're just going to drop you awkwardly through a table. <laughs> I nearly brain you. Yes. But, oh, yeah. Bro, what's your thoughts on the overall match? Yeah, no, I mean, this is the kind of stuff that made FNW at the beginning awesome. I mean, um, you know, it's... I was talking about the commercial videos and stuff like that. A lot of it is lost in, because I've, I've watched a bunch of like handhelds and stuff, and, and not everyone, not every show is great, but there's some of these Onita matches that are like, yeah, they're not, obviously not great technical masterpieces or anything like that, <laughs> but like the crowd is so into it and it's just so crazy. And, um, you know, there's just so much awesome energy in the building. And, and that's kind of what this was where you just tell there's this awesome energy where it's just insane. Let's just all go all over the building and beat the crap out of each other. There's a spot where Onita tries to pile drive Tinru on the, on the floor, but then there's like, well, I'm not going to actually drop Tinru on his head on the floor. So it's like this safe <laughs> looking pile drive spot on the floor where he just kind of just drops him all his old body uh, with a pile driver. Um, but yeah, like, um, you know, there's a thing that uh, is lost with a lot of, um, with Onita where it's like a, a lot of Onitas, you got to be in the building to like really capture like the feeling and the, and how awesome it is. And, and but on this show, this match, it kind of comes through the video. Cause like I said, a lot of times it's lost, but this one where you could just tell, like, this is insane, just chaos. Let's just brawl all over the building. The crowd is hot. Um, you know, it's just, like I said, it's. It's a surreal feeling because, like I said, you know, there's some a lot of times, especially at Corrigan Hall, where the fan base is, you know, a smarter fan base and they, you know, and a passionate fan base. And you get a match like this where it's just like the crowd is just so riled up and screaming and holy crap, here's Tinru, you know, uh, brawling right next to me and stuff like that. And that's what this match was. And, you know, like I said, just an awesome match. Um Overall, and you know, it it really did capture the beginning of what FN, what made FMW at the beginning what it was and what it's known for. Yeah, I mean, I think the I, I think on this podcast we have since this podcast started actually when we first did FMW oh seven years ago, and me and Ben Spindler were trying to figure out kind of like what the FMW appeal was and stuff. And as much as I think there was great stuff in FMW that didn't involve Anita, and I think that, you know, 
uh, a lot of it was there was great wrestlers and there was great wrestling, especially FMW did an incredible job of really giving the idea of women a much bigger role in wrestling on a male in a male dominated era. Uh, even though you know, yes, you had the Joshi companies, but FMW the only company in Japan to run female rosters and male rosters, and they did all sorts of things with different people. The Anita effect is still so breathtakingly large. John and me were talking about it before we got you on the line, Brett. John, you were saying that there's never going to be another wrestler like Anita. There's never going to be another wrestler that inspires that kind of insane following. The only, per- the only people I know that are kind of on that level, I would suggest anywhere in wrestling history, would be the Crush Girls in AJW in the 80s at their absolute height, where they're wrestling uh, dump and bull every weekend and they're out murdering one another. And also a El Santo in the 60s in Mexico, which you don't really have too much footage of, but you know by the fact that he essentially has become this zeitgeist icon in Mexico. I think somebody, I can't remember, somebody wrote an article once, and it was this line that stuck with me, that Hulk, someone said, Hulk Hogan on his deathbed will look back on all the main events he ever wrestled and all the money he ever made and go, yeah, bro, I wish I was as over as El Santo. <laughs> <laughs> And I think you know, Anita is that level of over. Yeah, no. So I, I've been following FMW for over 20 years. and But I'm always kind of sided with the Hayabusa as you know, the Hayabusa side. Like, I mm. love Hayabusa. I, I personally would take him over Onita, but that's just me. And, um, but I've always respected Onita. And especially, you know, I've always enjoyed a lot of his matches. You know, matches like this, I've always loved. I've just, like I said, I, I would always personally just choose on the side of Hayabusa. But yeah. um, I went to a, uh, su- it was Super Battle FMW uh, 2016. So way after FMW's closed, obviously, you know, 17 years after this. And I I was there, I actually sat next to Onita's mom. And, <laughs> you know, I was there for the post-match. And the match was good, you know, it was a barbed wire match, it was fine. But afterwards, you know, there was this Onita theater where he's on the mic and he's just screaming for 20 minutes. And I'm, you know, right next to the ring because all the fans rush to the ring ringside and he's just screaming for 20 minutes and it's just like this surreal like okay i get it now like wow like it really yeah. you know 2016 it took me to go okay i get it now like there i understand like you get trapped in this feeling of like wow and he is so like just he has this aura about himself and it was an amazing like i remember just like you know it was a 20 minutes of him just going on and on and i don't even understand what he's saying but i just remember <laughs> going, wow like that was that's like one of the highlights of my trip to Japan is just being a part of that, you know, just all these fans right next to one another as Onita's just screaming for 20 minutes. And at the end of this show, this is like insane because not only is there, you know, the ter- well, first off, Onita's got barbed wire all over him. There's just barbed wire. He's screaming and all the fans are right there by the ring. But then on this video afterwards, even he's done the interview and then he's outside Corrigan Hall and they're still you know, right by the Tokyo Dome and they're still like, 50, 100 fans on the first floor as Onida's on the stair level and he's screaming like this, you know, uh, like a <laughs> king or so at the top of the castle. And he's just screaming and all the fans are still cheering for him, you know, uh, just loving every second of it. That's the first time I've ever seen this where it's like, you know, they t- they went outside Corrigan Hall and like I said, they're all outside the Tokyo Dome just screaming with Onida uh, like like he's a king, essentially. Yeah, it's it just... Uh, sorry, go jump. The only person who even remotely comes close to that that I can think of now is Nick Gage. 
Like, if you ever watch a show that Nick Gage is on, the crowd mob around him. He's the most popular guy in the building. But even then, it doesn't quite reach that old, like, Onita level of just sheer yeah. fandom. Yeah. I, think... I was going to say, Sorry. Junkasai has a, has a good following as well in regards is you know, yeah. I, I, always, I think of Junkasai as kind of the equivalent to Nick Gage, where they both are definitely above... 90% of the wrestlers in regards to what you're saying, you know, that fan base, that loyal, passionate fan base that are willing to go and see him and love him, but they're not, I mean, at least for Kasai, because I don't follow Nick Gage enough uh, to say, but I know Kasai is not at the Onita level, um, but I, like I said, I always kind of see them as kind of equals in regards to popularity and then Onita being a step above them. I think as well, there's like a relatability to Gage you can kind of want to be Gage and you can kind of want to be Kasai because they're cool. They are really cool. But Anita seems to be another level above that. It's not like a relatability because you can't be like Anita. You can't just wander around smoking cigarettes and wearing a leather jacket and shouting at people all the time. You just can't. But he's <laughs> cool enough to get away with it. I said on Any- Twitter earlier... Sorry, I was going to say, I saw it on Twitter earlier today, like Noah Miyasaka, the, the tennis player, has been having problems with, with obviously, with uh, press conferences, but she should do it like Anita. She should turn up with a fag on, wearing a leather jacket, throw things and just shout at reporters <laughs> for 20 minutes and walk away. And that would be excellent. <laughs> I was just going to say, he's still doing it at 63, too. Like, yeah. I mean, he's, you know, 63 year old man. I think of all the other wrestlers, you know, Ric Flair's like 70, Hulk Hogan is, you know, is 65 and, and, but they don't have, you know, that Onita still has that following after all these years and he's still able to play the role. Yeah. He's not that great of a wrestler, obviously, but he's still able to have these kind of matches um, and still have this fan base follow him wherever, wherever he goes, even though, like I said, 63 years old. Yeah, no, he's he's like getting to the force of nature point of professional wrestling. <laughs> you know, it is just like insane that he can still go to an extent in a way that I mean, I've seen his matches in the last twelve months, and none of them have been awful. And I'm not at the will to go. Yeah, you should maybe stop. No, no, he's he's still a productive player, which brings us to the next level and the next occasion, really, that's going to involve Anita because after AEW, there's that company again had um, a main event which involved Barb Wire and Kenny Omega and John Moxley, where they invited Atsushi Anita to give commentary about that style of match. Anita kind of went, well, maybe there is life in the old name yet, and has announced his latest promotion, which is FMWE. There are things that are coming out about it which seem quite interesting, I'm going to go with John first because he's been following this story a lot. So what's your thoughts on it as far as like a modern promotion is going to be and how is it going to work, do you think? I'm so excited for this. They seem to have like a fairly good plan in place for it because they've got a fairly cheap streaming ticket entry price. I think it's a thousand yen to get in. Yeah, about 10 US dollars. And about six quid, seven quid. So it's it's really cheap to get in, and it's got a tip sort of scoreboard. So if you put more money towards it, you can get your name on this giant board at the back. There's obviously the women's match where you can tip towards the weapons used. And yeah, his entire thing is the E stands for explosions and entertainment. So <laughs> everything everyone hated about the Moxley match, he's going to put right with probably gratuitous amounts of explosives. 
and the card for it is quite interesting. I can't can't remember the full lot of it off the top of my head, but in the main event alone, it's Onita, Minoru Fujita, and Ricky Fuji against Abdullah Kobayashi and... There's two mystery partners, and I think they've been announced, but I cannot yeah. remember them. Yuko Miyamoto and Anrio. That's it. So you've got two pro wrestling triple six, like top dogs, alongside this generational clusterfuck of a death match that's got every exploding weapon you could possibly want, as well as the sort of women's division where he wants to make Suzu Suzuki the top of it. There's there's some nice groundwork being laid here for a longer reign than just one Fourth of July event. Yeah. Um, other other things that you could know about it is Drew Parker is doing the English commentary, which is amazing. And Ricky Fuji has promised to bring out his Yokohama Arena suit. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and let me tell you, that's some suit, and it's seen some things. <laughs> I'm just looking through the FMW feed, FMWE feed, isn't it? Brett, what's your thoughts on it? Because I know it can't relive the glory days of FMW because a lot of those people are sadly no longer with us, but can it take the spirit of FMW and mix it with modern professional wrestling? I mean, I feel like it's actually going to take the spirit of this Onita Pro, and um, which, I mean, in a sense, is equivalent to the old FMW with Onita, but... Um, it's going to be a little t- tougher because one, you know, the Onita the last year, the crowd can't be as screaming or anything like that because of COVID. And so, you know, and the fans were in mass. So that, that'll be a little difficult. And so the energy might not be the same. But um, yeah, I mean, this is definitely. So Onita essentially, he got so much attention because of the Moxie Omega match. He's getting tweeted all the time. Oh, you should have been there. This, you know, you would have made this match awesome. He's getting, he said thousands of tweets essentially directed at him based off this match. And so he's going, wow, look at all these, you know, foreigners, Europeans, Americans, you know, knowing about me and, and messaging me. They, you know, I wonder if I can make money off this. And so he ends up getting with the sponsor. They create this promotion. And I mean, they create it. And, you know, there's been, like I said, there's been other Onita promotions. There was a Blasting Koshin last year, which was a DDT sub promotion. There's been other Onita, quote, quote unquote, Onita promotions. Um, but they go, you know what? Hey, the the Americans, the Europeans, they know the name FMW better. So let's try and placate to that name. And so that's why they created the FMW E name because it'll be a bro- it'll, um, a attract a broader audience and so yeah the big difference here though is they're gonna um be able to you know like you said stream and you know ten dollars ten dollars a month uh, ten dollars a show thousand yen you'll be able to watch it and that's gonna be the big thing they're like hey international fans you can watch us and so that's gonna be their big plan because it's only they're only they've sold out the building it's only about 250 people that are going to be there um you know, but the streaming is going to be the big th- t- ticket on, hey, is this promotion going to make it or not? Will there be enough international fans that will watch it? Now, I do believe that the first show in July is going to be a success because I think, you know, so many, I mean, whenever I talk about it, I get so much attention just because there definitely is, there is something there. And I don't know if it's the AEW fans or what, but, you know, there's definitely a international following now to this promotion um, that would will you know I I feel like we'll make this show a success. Now the big question is 
down the line, okay, will they, if they buy the show in July, will they buy the show in October or December or something yeah. like that? Because the big, the big thing here is like you said, the explosions, they're going to have exploding barbed wire, which they haven't done in years. Um, they're going to have the uh, exploding barricade landmines outside the rink. And then they're going to have the exploding barbed wire bat, which Onita does every time now. Uh, but the big thing, the new one is an exploding table, which that seems like a dangerous spot because Onita always likes to pile <laughs> drive his opponent through the table. So it'll be interesting to see how that works. That's like, yeah, that sounds, I mean, that sounds uh, like a recipe for formica in somebody's eye. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and you also have, you know, I mean, mostly Ricky Fuji, he's over 50. Minoru Fujita, he's over 40. So you have a lot of these older guys. So it's going to be interesting to see how this show is, how, you know, and like I said, they won't even necessarily have the fan, they won't have as many fans like, you know, this match, like we talked about, the, the Corrigan in Onita Pro in 99, like, hey, that the fans helped make that match. The passionate fans screaming all over the building. You're not going to have as many fans. They're not going to be able to be as loud. So it's going to be interesting, you know, how this show match, the main event does, and how the show does, you know, with the different dynamic. And we're going to – a big thing, though, is the explosions, which Onita has been really good. He never goes cheap on explosions. And so, <laughs> you're, you know, it'll be – the fans that are like you know AEW fans that saw that exploding ring match in, uh, with Omega and Moxley, they're you know I if they really want to see big explosions, they need to see this show. And because I I I definitely think that the explosions will be a big uh, a big deal, a big success here with how like I said, Onita really goes all in on the explosions. Certainly, I think this is the. This is the thing. I mean, obviously, there are other deathmatch companies in Japan. Obviously, BJW probably being the biggest name. Um, but they haven't relied on the explosions because it's expensive. It's big production. It's something you have to kind of like have a lot of people in the building to make it worthwhile. Also, you kind of have to do it outdoors because it's dangerous yeah. to do it indoors. Yeah, it prevents you from work doing Corrigan Hall. It prevents you from Shinkiba, which are the two main Tokyo buildings. And so, yeah, you have to go to this the Yokohama Fruit Market, where um, essentially it's a giant garage, just in, uh, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, or that or you work outside, and so as a result, yeah, that kind of limits you. Because, like I said. You know, hey, Onita could run this show at Corrigan Hall in '99, like because it's just barbed wire. But if you're gonna focus the promotion on explosions, you you know the Yokohama the building he's running the Yokohama Fruit Market. That's pretty much the only small building you can you know that's not big rent or anything like that that you can have major explosions. Otherwise, you're gonna have to have a bigger you know go to bigger lots or, or if you want to work and you know and so essentially he's hoping that this they're hoping FMWE is hoping that, Hey, this first show is a big success and we can keep, can keep growing and growing like FMW did. Cause when FMW started in 89, very, you know, it was a very poor promotion, but as they were able to grow and grow and grow and become a huge promotion, this promotion, I'm sure I'm, I'm guessing is hoping, Hey, if these international fans, if we can just get a certain amount, we can continue to grow and grow and be a bigger promotion. And, you know, like I said, that obviously that's the goal here is to be, somewhat you know be a somewhat successful promotion i think that's that's the thing isn't it it's like the idea of like a death match in shinkaba first and yeah. <laughs> yeah they always have to go outside because onito does the exploding barbar bats in shikiba but you can't do it in the building so they always are like oh we're brawling outside the building and then we're turning on the exploding bat and we're going to hit you in the parking lot with it hey see that's that's the, that's the whole thing but that's <laughs> 
the last times I ever saw Exploding Barbed Wire in an indoor venue was at a CZ, on a CZW show. It was a Night of Infamy, I think it was Night of Infamy 2019. It was, was Jimmy it? Lloyd versus Casey Catal. And um, I don't think either of them knew the barbed wire was actually going to explode. Because <laughs> Lloyd just, like, suplexes her into the wire and all of a sudden it explodes and it just sets the fire alarm off. It was quite <laughs> Was that Was that in Philadelphia by any chance? I can't remember. It might have been, but it sounds like it. Genuinely, everyone everyone sort of collectively shat themselves because it's just like, wait, that was explosive. Because <laughs> it's it's never mentioned either. It's just like a bare canvas, no rope barbed wire match. It never once specifies it's going to explode. It's <laughs> been a bit mean if they'd like booked it and then not told them. And oh yeah, by the way, it's not a small explosive either. It's. It's pretty big. <laughs> it's... Can't imagine. Can't imagine the risk assessment you'd have to do for that uh... in the UK. So this is the reason why we don't have too many death matches in the UK. Is the risk assessment forms you have to fill in are incredibly yeah, long. Yeah. So that's another thing. Is, um, <laughs> when Onita first came out of retirement, he wanted to do death matches. He wanted to be the international death match guy. So it's like I want to get booked in Australia. I want to get booked in America. I want to get booked in the UK. And I want to have these explosion matches. No. Uh, <laughs> I want to bring exploding matches to these countries. And it's like he had this whole thought, you know, process, and then nothing ended up happening. And then COVID happened, and that's been kind of scrapped. <laughs> but yeah, that was his thing. I want to be this international, you know. Ex- explosion match innovator and so everyone can know across the world I'm the one that brought the explosion you know I'm the one that did these explosion matches I think that would be cool but he, I'm not sure he could I'm not sure I would get insurance to do it in the UK to be yeah. honest and, and, and that was the whole thing with America too where it was always just this issue with you know uh, getting the light you know he because he wanted to do exploding ring match back in ECW even back in the 90s yeah. that ended up never ended up happening and just the exploding ring part is just was always such a was always such an issue, and I mean even you look at AEW and and they still couldn't put it together successfully. Even no, I think because if I remember correctly, wasn't he supposed to wrestle Sandman? Then Sandman got signed to WCW, so he's going to wrestle Dreamer, and then it just never happened. I, I don't think Paul could ever get it to put together, even if, uh, yeah, like the match was originally supposed to be Sandman. That was the first thought because Onita came to ECW and, and turned on Sandman. But then, yeah, it never, it ended up just never happening. He couldn't get, uh, he could, Paul couldn't get the rights or couldn't get the fire marshal aspect. And I mean, <laughs> they would have had to run the building outside, obviously. And it, yeah. I, I mean, I never heard the dreamer aspect because I think it was kind of dead at that point. Like, oh, okay, Sandman's gone. If this ever happens, they probably were dreamer's second choice. But, I mean, by that point, I think it was dead anyway. And I know Mick Foley wanted to do it with Terry Funk at the at WrestleMania 10? No, WrestleMania... No, the, no it, was the, it was the... 14, that's the one. Yes, not 10. That was Bretton Owen, wasn't it? Um, yeah, they wanted to do. He wanted to do it there, as, as that was kind of like his idea for bringing Terry Funk in, the build up towards that. But Mick didn't realize that Vince had the idea for bringing Mike Tyson in and wanted, as much as you can have a family friendly audience involving Mike Tyson, uh, they wanted like something that was going to have mass appeal. And obviously, you know, two blokes blowing each other up is not necessarily <laughs> mass appeal. <laughs> I just can't so, wait to see if. Onita manages to bring Tremont in again. Because considering what became of their CZW feud, it's it doesn't look like Onita's willing to let that rest. Well, yeah, so he... 
because he, you know, I, I was at that CCW show and he was so disappointed in the explosions. Cause, and, you know, the, cause, and I, I was talking to Tremont beforehand and I'm like, hey, is this supposed to be an exploding barbar match? And he's like, yeah, it's going to be an exploding barbar match. And I'm like, okay, but it's at the fly, you know, it's at the skate arena where essentially, you know, like the Philadelphia Flyers, they practiced. Like it was just this hockey rink. <laughs> and so I, I'm there before the show and I'm seeing them put up the seats and I'm like, okay, this, there's no way the seat, the front row seats are like right next to the ring. There's no way this can be an exploding barbed wire match. And uh, and it wasn't, it was just ended up being a barbed wire match. And, but they ended up using the exploding bat, but they didn't put very much explosions into it. It was mostly just gunpowder and it kind of sucked. And Onito afterwards was like, this was cheap, you know, I want to. I want mm. you to come to Japan, and you know, we we do an actual explosion match because this was cheap, and he keeps saying cheap over and over, calling it cheap, and so yeah. So then, um, but he loves Tremont, and he um, he wants Tremont to wrestle for the promotion. He has in the last month said, you know, hey, come back, come to Japan and wrestle. Problem is one. Matt Tremont has retired, which I mean, obviously he can come out of that, but he has retired. But two, right now, just Japan, you can't come, you can't just fly to Japan. Um, yeah. They pretty yeah. much said, hey, you do not come to the Olympics this summer, you know, because as of right now, it's it's not bad compared to what America was through. But it, I mean, it's still pretty bad. A lot of the wrestlers are getting COVID now. I mean, shows are getting canceled. Big Japan just canceled a the whole tour and their Corrigan show this past week because of it. And, you know, so you, you're not even allowed to come to Japan. So, um, you know, things would have to calm, you know, Tremont would have to unretire and things would have to calm down for him to come back. But if those two happen, then, I mean, he has an open invitation because like I said, Onita one loves Tremont Two, he wants, he definitely wants to have some type of an explosion match with Tremont, possibly even a, a singles match. Well, there you go. Well, I think we've covered everything we can possibly cover about FMW in an hour and a half. So I think we should round out the show there. I would like to thank our very special guest, Brett. Where can we find you on the internet, sir? Uh, BahuFNW.com or FNWWrestling.us. I've had I've been working on this website for over 20 years. Results, news, biographies, DVDs for sale. Um, I have some books translated, and I'm working on some more books. I'm I'm currently working on translating Junkasai's book, um, and then I've got a bunch more books uh, down the line. They just take a long time to to work to, <laughs> to do it. Um, I also. Uh, Brett FNW on YouTube. I have a history of FNW series where I pretty much um, go over everything that's been going on year by year in FNW. Um, I'm at 2019 right now, so I've done 49 episodes, and there's clips to everything I'm talking about. Uh, and then Bahu FNW on Twitter, and where anything FNW related news, especially the new FNW e promotion, and Bahu FNW World on Instagram, where I go through all my magazines and I just take a whole bunch of pictures of all. All, anything FMW related on that and post them on there. I'd like to thank you, Brett, for all the stuff you do for wrestling history because there is guys like you and there's several other people that I follow on the internet that follow me. OST, who does uh, always tags me in his old British wrestling posters every day, and uh-huh. uh, which is remarkable because I'm on a list of people that include like you know Robbie Brookside and Steve Regal, <laughs> and, like, and he includes me, and it's like oh I'm really not like them, <laughs> but you guys actually keep all of this history together for resources like for guys like me and John who when we go need to go write a story about something because something has happened we can go to your sites and and you give us all this information and you keep 
you keep the light of these wrestling promotions so well lit and we appreciate it so much. And I've always pointed people in your direction because you have such a great stories about FMW and the 90s deathmatch scene, but also, you know, it's so much in depth and it's so cool. So thank you so much from the wrestling fans of us all to you, Brett. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. It's a, it's, it's a really, it's a lot of hard work and a lot of passion involved, but I'm glad people do enjoy it. We do. We definitely do. John, sir, where can we find you on the internet this week? Well, it, it sounds like a very short list compared to what we just heard, but you can find me on Twitter at John Deathman. That is the gateway tell to everything from my writing to my ramblings to podcasts like this. Yeah, it's <laughs> Twitter, John Deathman, and obviously keep your eyes peeled to Steel Chair, where I've got DMDU, GCW, and more shit coming in the next couple of days. There you go. Uh, thank you very much for listening to the Troopany Show. My name's James Troopany. And you can find me at Sheriff Lone Star on Twitter. You can find the show Troopany Show on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook and Patreon, where you can keep the Troopany Show free forever for everyone. Me and Christy will be doing our In the Beginning show towards the end of June um, with our usual Patreon kind of deal there. So if you want some extra content for a small fee to keep the Troopany Show running smoothly, please have a listen and contribute to that um next week we should be looking at the cyberbike festival featuring ddt uh noah and tjpw as well as that big show from tokyo today who's from new japan pro wrestling with the main event but i can't actually remember the name of the show john what's the name of the show what dominion sorry it is Dominion, isn't it? Yeah, there you go. It's only like the third biggest show of the year i apologize I'm i don't know if it had already been because it was the one that had the tag bout like the tag titles. No, that um, was Road Two Dominion. Uh, the timeline's been that screwed up by COVID at this point. It's just yeah, they put the tag title match and the six man tag title match on the Road Two shows. I think probably to make the main event more main eventy. Is it you know... Osaka like always? Yes, it is Osaka. There you go, Dominion Osaka, and it was. It's like seven point. It... It's the it's the it was supposed to be today, I think, or it was supposed to be yesterday, but they're calling it six point five six point five rather than six point seven, which it should be because that's the name of the show because it was only supposed to be on that day. So <laughs> yes, <laughs> and it features Kazuchika Okada versus Shingo Takagi for the vacant IWGP World's Heavyweight Championship, which neither of them want because apparently the belt's ugly. And that's that's been the story of the week. <laughs> But there you go. And that's wrestling. Thank you very much for listening to the Troopity Show. We'll see you next week. Bye!